And now for something completely different. A radio show about books. Didn't think it through at all. Inconceivable! <laughs> yes, the show's serious. That's totally a thing. Thank you. Tarzan of the Apes. Brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' immortal book. Oh, wow. In the beginning, the universe was created. This has made a lot of people very angry and been widely regarded as a bad move. And now for your host, Daniel Thompson, a completely underqualified buffoon who has no idea why he's here in the first place. And all were amazed and said, this guy is really good. Do you do children's parties? What up, y'all? This is Big D coming at you live from Oklahoma. Oklahoma from Swasu, whereupon I make my abode. Swasu, that's the name of my university. The Swasu. <laughs> Swasu. It's very fun to say. I mean, I can't, I can't knock my university on its name. It's pretty great. Welcome to the Very Serious Writing Show. It is a good day to be alive. I'd even say it's a good day to be awake. Barely. Barely. I'm pretty tired. I'm not going to lie to you. We got Paul McCusker in today as a continuation of the Adventures in Odyssey takeover. And we're talking Adventures in Odyssey today. We're also talking Focus on the Family Radio Theater because he is also very involved in that. He was one of those guys who made like the Narnia audio dramas. Did you all listen to those? Oh my gosh, those things are good. And we're also talking a lot about themescape. We're talking a lot about how to weave in your Christian themes into stories without coming across preachy. It's a big theme. It's a big thing to talk about. We're talking about it today. So, carry on, my wayward sons. You're here because we want the best, and you're it. Nope, couldn't keep a straight face. Hey everybody, I have a treat for you today. I have in studio with me Paul McCusker. Do you know who this guy is? Because he wrote a bunch of the Odyssey stuff, the Adventures in Odyssey work. He wrote the screenplay for Beyond the Mask, that new film that came out, and also a ton of the Focus on the Family radio theater stuff, including the Bonhoeffer audio drama and the Chronicles of Narnia. Paul, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. How How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing well. How's the weather over there in Colorado? Actually, it is, um, it's beautiful today, like 70 degrees and a slight breeze that has maybe a hint of fall approaching, uh, which is the first we've had for a while. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Oh, that's really nice. Western Oklahoma hasn't been so kind. It's been <laughs> hot, and then when it's not hot, it's been windy, and when it's not windy, like today, thunderstorms. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's very send fun. Some, if you're having rain, send some of it here. We could use it. Oh, God. Well, we need all all that we can get over in Oklahoma, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we we got to keep it. So, <laughs> hey, you, you've, done, you've done a ton of stuff. You've done, like, a ton of stuff. And uh, I was talking to you before the interview. You were on the ground floor of Adventures in Odyssey. What, what was that like? Well, it was... Um, 
I have to tell you honestly, it was it was kind of exhilarating. I um, I heard about it through uh, Chuck Bolte, who fans will remember uh, became executive producer. And Chuck and I were working together somewhere else, and he was consulting with them on these radio dramas. And he had come to me and, and said, oh, by the way, I'm working with this organization. They're doing radio dramas. Would you be interested in doing any writing for that? And I said, well, um, sure. Uh, it seemed like it would be a good experience. I hadn't really done much of that before. Mm-hmm. So I started to work with um, Steve Harris initially and did a script for what was called the Family Portraits Show which was the predecessor to Odyssey. Okay. And then um, began to have more contact with, with Steve Harris, who was one of the co-creators. And then it led into conversations with um, Phil Lawler, the other uh, creator for what was essentially uh, the foundation of what Odyssey would become. And um, uh, it kind of took off from there. So I was freelancing for them and in early conversations and the development of the show. Okay, so did did they have all the characters ready for you when you came on and started writing, or did you get to be a part of developing the characters, or what, how was I that was, situation? Uh, well, I was part of it. I think the foundational thing that they had, uh, they had with uh, the town of Odyssey, Witsend, and this man named John Avery Whitaker, which they had ideas about. I kind of an idea as, as he was described early on. It was like a cross between Mark Twain and C.S. Lewis, huh. and. Um, uh, they had I, I, well, what I call the foundation of the show um, because essentially those three things were the foundation of the show. Uh, we knew that there would be families, but we hadn't developed consistent families yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Connie was sort of, <laughs> Connie was still being, I, I want to say she was still being thought through by uh, Steve and Phil. And they worked with an actress um named Katie Lee on some other projects. And they, I think they had it in mind that Katie would play Connie. Mm-hmm. And she she seemed to be, the character of Connie seemed to be a little bit of a mix with Katie. And and so Steve, a very early show, I remember Steve talking to me about Connie, a little bit of the basic things about her personality. And then I came back and wrote a script that included her, and then Steve said, "Ah, oh, well, you've actually done some things with her that we really liked, that we hadn't really considered. So that was really the way the show always worked. There would be the interaction with the team on ideas, and then the interaction with the actors. Okay. And, and the characters would shape from there, really. So it was uh, collaboration from a ton of sources. Yes, yeah. So uh, Steve and Phil would have been, I mean, still and rightfully credited as being the co-creators of the show, the essence of it. But apart from those foundational things, um, I think we had uh, Tom Riley might have been part. He was Wit's friend early on in the equation. And um, I'm, I think I'm drawing a little bit of a blank on the other characters uh, that were part of the town and part of the relationship with Wit. But a lot of them came later as we talked and developed them. Okay. Now you hadn't you, you said that you hadn't done a whole lot of audio drama work when you when you started in on this. What was it like kind of jumping into that? Did you have to learn for yourself or did the uh, did the other guys kind of bring it to you or how did that Well there was some interesting I mean, that's what was so remarkable about that period because what you had um, up till then was what was called classic radio drama. Mm-hmm. which kind of goes back to the 40s and the 50s and that sort of thing. 
um, the old Sherlock Holmes stuff and oh yeah the shadow and, and a lot of the classic programs I mean very remarkable programs informative mm-hmm. but, um, we were coming together and even while we talked about the classic radio we were aware that we were creating something new I mean in the late 80s it was the MTV generation and the idea was um, to create a new sound basically emotion almost it's almost like um, a, a style of production whereas if you had a movie on but you couldn't see the screen okay that's kind of where we were going we began to think through the kinds of things stylistically that we wanted to do that Phil and I would put in the scripts and then the sound design team would step up and they'd have ideas and suddenly the production became much fuller than any classic radio program. I mean, oh yeah, they, they had pretty spare sound effects, especially because they often did them live. Mm-hmm. And we were going more for the motion picture mix. Um, I dare say even a, a kind of a rock music mix, huh. um, being influenced by you know concept albums and things like that. So uh, yeah, it was it was exhilarating. I, I think all the guys would admit that it was exhilarating to be at the starting point of something that seemed very new, even though in many ways it seemed uh, old. And I don't mean old as in tired, I just mean Mm -hmm. retro and vintage, and yet we were doing it in a whole new way. Okay, so Odyssey was really kind of the reboot of that that style, but in just with a higher production quality, because the the production quality on these Focus on the Family stuff is, it's amazing. It's really, it's really pretty great. Yeah, the guys are amazing, yeah. And that's another thing I want to talk to you about is the Focus on the Family Radio Theater, because that's I I was I was talking with John Fornoff the other day, and I told uh, I told him I was that one kid who didn't actually listen to Adventures in Odyssey, <laughs> the one home, <laughs> the one homeschool kid who doesn't have a background in it. I feel terrible saying that, yeah. but what I did listen to, I tell you what, was those Chronicles of Narnia, um, mm-hmm. Radio Theater. What was it like developing the the classic stories and getting in there with that? Well, and that was the interesting thing. After doing, um, as we were doing Odyssey and had been doing Adventures in Odyssey for a few years, um, I remember a decisive conversation with Dave Arnold, who was our our main sound producer. Yeah. And Dave and I were always talking ideas, and and we, we felt like it was time to go the next step. That if Adventures in Odyssey was sort of our TV, you know, weekly TV show kind of thing for the for audio. We wondered what it would be like to do something more in the realm of um, feature film mm-hmm. <laughs> audio programs, something that would be really much bigger and more elaborate. And uh, so we, it went through a variety of iterations in terms of of what we were calling it. But radio theater kind of came out of those discussions. And then the second phase to that was we. We really wanted to do stories. The parameters for the stories were um, uh, an internal phrase that we always used, which was secular worthy stories from a Christian worldview. Yeah. Because our passion was how do we create stories that would work for non-believers and yet could do like a Narnia does, which might nudge them towards the faith, but without being overt about it. And so those were the two dynamics was how do we go the next step in terms of our writing and sound design and how do we reach out more aggressively to a secular culture? And that, that was what drove us. 
Okay. I want to talk more about Focus on the Family, but you brought up something I, I really wanted to get in with you on. Is I read in one of your uh, other interviews that you talked about how a lot of the Christian films out there right now follow this dramatized sermon style. I think that was that was your words, and I think that I think that sums it up really great. How do you go in and make the story a, a worthy story, but then have the faith element? How do you balance it? How do you make it work? Well, I, I think the way it works for anything is um, the integration of of your story and your themes and your characters. Um, if you if you write a story and you have characters. And you can easily detach a theme or easily add a theme in if it's, let's say it's a Christian theme. Um, if you can sort of insert it or take it out without um, damaging the story or damaging the characters, then there's something wrong. Okay. Because all three should be integrated. Um, uh, the, the theme is coming out of the story and the characters and the interaction between those three components um, is vital. And the best stories have them completely interwoven mm -hmm. to the degree that if you say, you know, boy, this seems a bit preachy somehow. Let's just take that message out. Well, if you can do that easily, then then it actually doesn't belong there. It's gratuitous. It's it's sort of uh, an addendum. And, and that's what I'm afraid happens with a variety of different dramas. And I'm sure I've written some where it felt like the uh, message was... Uh, tacked on or it felt uh, sort of an unnecessary addition and I think most of our audiences know that too that you, you sense it uh, most oh, yeah. of the time with, with, with Christian drama um, and again having written a lot of this sort of thing um, sermon enhancing sketches or or dramatized sketches I, I mean sermons that are sort of bundled up into a sketch um, you, you get a sense that um, uh, it it it's either affirming or reaffirming something you already believe. Uh, it tends not to work evangelistically as well as Christians like to think so, because yeah. most of the time non-believers are reacting to these stories the way we react when we watch or listen to something that's really heavy-handed with their messaging. Uh, we balk against it. It feels like a commercial for a soap or something. Yeah. Um, uh, for a product rather than... Uh, something uh, that's real and living and dynamic like a story should be. Yeah, because you have the parents who whenever they're watching like a science documentary and it says 35 million years ago and the parents say, okay, kids, we don't we do not do that. Mm -hmm. You know, that reaction, that's got to be the same way on the on the other side of the table if it's <laughs> if it's just advertising like that. Well, yeah, if, if you've got somebody who clearly has, you know, an agenda, if you're doing a drama about some scientists and, and just as... Um, you have maybe a character who keeps uh, pushing for a particular evolutionary theory. It'd be the same in reverse if you had a character who was persistent in, in pushing intelligent design. Um, and, and people are going to react unless, and the only time they don't react will be if it's true to the character. Mm -hmm. For example, if you establish that your character is a particular person who, who represents that a particular point of view and it's all bound up in the character and it makes sense, well, then it, that's true to the character. Um, I, I guess the way I, I keep trying to put it is it's as wrong to um, insert the name of Jesus into something if the name of Jesus doesn't really belong there as it would be to take it out if the name of Jesus really does belong there. Okay. So to, to use your example of Chronicles of Narnia, 
if somebody said, oh, I don't know, the stone table thing, I think we ought to take that out. Um, <laughs> well, then you'd have to go back and, and, and suddenly the whole story changes. Mm-hmm. Because C.S. Lewis didn't write that merely to be a representation of Jesus on the cross. He didn't just shove it in there as if it were a representation of that. It was integral to the story and to the characters and everything that unfolded. So to, to pull that out would unravel much of the story. Mm-hmm. See, and that's what I mean about the gratuitous versus something that's integral. Um, and that's what makes the difference between a, a genuine story and something that may feel like a dramatized sermon. That makes sense to me. Now, how did you do that with uh, Beyond the Mask? Like, how did well, that work? It, well, with Beyond the Mask, and we went back and forth on this a lot, and trying to find the right balance between um, the characters in the action and the themes that that uh, Chad and Aaron Burns really wanted to be represented in the story um, uh, was hard. I mean, we went back and forth on it a lot, trying to find just the right balance so that it wouldn't be heavy-handed and and I, I will tell you and I'm and and if it, if I sound unduly critical about movies that are dramatized sermons um, I, I don't mean to sound unduly critical because the fact is when you're creating anything for a market you, you're, you're thinking of your audience mm-hmm. and you're thinking of their expectations and you're thinking of what will get them to go to the theater what's going to help them to want to watch this movie yeah, um, and, and especially in the evangelical realm, uh, a big part of why Christians will engage in movies will be the takeaway. Absolutely. Is it affirming their faith? Is it in, in, enlightening them about their faith? Is it um, saying what they wish they could say to other people and they couldn't? I mean, that's all part of the package. So when the Burns boys were working through this film and we were discussing it, we had to stay aware of our audience even in the midst of great passion to make a particular kind of film and so that balance is is what we uh struggled to maintain now the audience will have to determine whether we succeeded or not Mm -hmm. uh but it's it's not uh i want to say that it's it's not easy so my my heart goes out to all writers and film producers who are trying to find that balance yeah, I mean it's it's just so hard, and uh, so when when you have Beyond the Mask and its themescape, uh, there's like an interview I read. You talked about kind of the fireproof model versus the Mom's Night Out model, which if if no if someone out there is listening hasn't seen Mom's Night Out, oh my gosh, I love that film. Mm-hmm. That film is so funny. I, I well, just, it's, it's yeah, it, it I uh, we watched it not too long ago, and I I, I mean. But it's it's interesting because of the difference between the two, and not the difference between necessarily drama and comedy. Mm-hmm. But we were what we were fascinated to watch was how the evangelical audience would respond yeah. to uh, a film that was much softer on um, on, on messaging. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had its themes and its messages, but it didn't it do, doesn't hit them quite the way. Uh, a fireproof or some of the other films do um, and and that was intriguing to watch whether Christian audiences would go to see a film strictly for entertainment as opposed to going because they want a message do you know what I mean and, yeah. and, and to me was the difference between 
the two different kinds of films. And that was the big concern about Beyond the Mask as well. Um, it was going to be a question, would people go see a historical action-adventure film that certainly had messaging within it bundled in, but you weren't going to get like an alliterated outline no. with it, <laughs> like you can with uh, the the fireproof book. I mean, the books that come out from these films, it often tells you a lot about how they were constructed because mm -hmm. of the study that come out from them and how easily they convert into that. Um, so I, no, uh, yeah, like, those are different models, yeah. and they're all they're all valuable. Now I like I like the fireproof model to a degree. I mean, I like the work that um, that the Kendricks have been doing. I think I think there's some value to that. I really like Courageous, sure. and um, but Mom's Night Out. I just yeah. love that movie. And unfortunately, I didn't get to go see it in theaters. I didn't realize it was the type of movie that it was. I guess I don't know if that's yeah. that's a marketing deal. Or whatever, but so so um, beyond the mask definitely falls on that side of the table, though. Right, and it's a good question of how do you market in a way oh, yeah. that you hope will bring non-Christians in, those who um, assume perhaps the worst of Christian movies, either because of the messaging or because of the quality. How do you do a marketing campaign that? communicates to the evangelical audience that this is safe and not only is it safe but it's sort of faith affirming while also trying to communicate to other people hey this is a movie that you'll enjoy even if you don't necessarily share the faith um that that's a that's a hard marketing trick yeah for sure well hey i want to keep talking to you about this paul but we do need to call quits for today we will be back thursday ladies and gentlemen paul mccusker will be back in thursday with us to continue talking about all these good things for now i will leave you off with this happy comedic midsection which is now more of an end section than a midsection but hey it's here for you so enjoy it and i will catch you thursday just when you thought that there were only two types of christian films you remembered that we exist we present in remastered Blu-ray High Definition, the Love Comes Softly series. Relive the timeless classics, including the original film, Love Comes Softly, and its sequels, Love's Enduring Promise, Love's Long Journey, Love's Abiding Joy, and all the other installments in the sprawling 10 film experience. And now, for the very first time, we are announcing the release of Phase 2 of the Love Comes Softly Cinematic Universe, featuring 10 brand new films. Love Strikes Back, Love's Next Door Neighbor Mavis, Love's Existential Crisis, Love Goes to the Store to Pick Up a Box of Wheat Thins, Love's Disembodied Head, Love Keeps You Up Late at Night Examining Your Feelings Because Love's a Jerk Like That, Love's Fragrant Healing and Essential Oil Story, Love accidentally stabs someone. Love browses the internet and loses all hope in humanity. And Love's never-ending franchise. The Love Comes Softly series. Only on the Hallmark Channel. I love you! I love you! I love you! You're listening to the Very Serious Writing Show. Wow. That was weird. <laughs>